0: Like, you just can't hold a microphone and preach and not just feel like all of a sudden you got some soul running through you. He said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Of all the things that could be said about somebody, for God to look down and say, man, he is a man after my own heart has to be the greatest compliment you can ever give. For someone to tell me, Gary, man, you are the greatest teacher I've ever heard, man, that's pretty cool. For someone to say, Gary, man, you are the best looking, most sexiest guy I've ever seen, that's pretty good. But for someone to look down and say, man, that is Gary, and he has a heart like God, He has the mind like God would have. What God's concerned about, he's concerned about. What God loves, he loves. What God hates, he hates. Man, that is a compliment, and we're in this series called David. And we're talking about what made David so great. We're in the second week of this series, and besides Jesus and Paul in the New Testament, and you could probably argue between David and Moses They definitely are the most talked about people in the Bible. David is right up there. He gets the most press. He gets the most scripture time. He's he's one of the most influential people, if you will, in the Bible. David, the shepherd boy. And we're going to get to that today. That's a pretty important factor. David, the shepherd boy, who went on to become the great king. I mean, he went from literally working in the fields... To being the king of the greatest nation there ever was. He, he, he lived a crazy life. Not only did he become king, he became hated. You'll never do anything great for God without being hated. His children turned on him. He had to go on the run. He had an affair. He killed the lady's husband. I mean, David's story is a crazy story. Last week, we started off the series, we kind of got out of order a little bit, but I wanted to talk about David and Goliath because it's the most famous story that we all think about when we think about David. And I wanted to talk about the fact that that David slew the giant and kind of go from there and talk about we have giants in our life. But this week, I want to talk about the moment where the shepherd boy was anointed king. 3,000 years ago, God chose a young man named David To be the king of Israel. Don't miss that. God chose a young shepherd boy to be the king over his people. God chose a shepherd boy. You need to understand what shepherds were in that time. Shepherds were uneducated. Shepherds would be the equivalent today of us, maybe like a gypsy. They were always on the go. They lived out in the field. The only interaction they ever had was with animals. They didn't have a lot of social skills. They didn't have a lot of people skills. They were not in town much because, man, shepherding the herd was a 24-7 job. They were looked at. A lot of times shepherds were outcasts. They were people trying to hide. They were people that were not socially accepted. And here's this young shepherd boy. And God looks down and says, man, I need to appoint a king over Israel, and that's who I'm going to do it. Out of all the sons of Jesse, David was the least likely and most unqualified of them all. If you go back and you study his life, he he was the youngest son of a poor farmer in a tiny town called Bethlehem. David was not even respected by his own family. He was the youngest, in this day and time, when you were the youngest, you were looked down upon. He, he was a nobody by the world standards, living in a family of nobodies. Yet God saw something in him, and by the grace of God, he became the greatest king in the history of Israel. He became an ancestor, literally, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, he's listed in what is called the Hall of faith. During his life, he received great promises and blessings from the hand of God. But to me, the greatest of those was a scripture we just read. He was called a man after God's own heart. I want to read the story of David becoming king today, then we're going to go back and we're going to pull some truths from it. The Bible says, The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? And I'll explain all this in a minute. I want to read it, get it out of the way, and then I'll give you the rundown. I'll give you the GLV, the Gary Lamb version. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I, meaning I, God, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul, Saul was the king, hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you. Jasper people, that's a cow. Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. little side trail there. I love how God tells him what to do. He tells Samuel, Go. He doesn't give them the whole plan. He just gives them the first two or three steps. He says, when you get to step three, I'll let you know about step four. So many times in our walk with God, we want steps six and seven before we get steps one and two. Let me rephrase that. We want steps six and seven before we will take step one and two. We want to see the whole picture before we get out of the boat. That's not called faith. Faith is taking the step and trusting that God is going before you. Lord said, so take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. That's a whole sermon in itself, right there. Samuel didn't question the Lord. He didn't have doubts about what the Lord said. Have you seen those bumper stickers and it says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You seen those? I see them all the time. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Those are inaccurate. God said it, that settles it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God said it. That settles it. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They were worried. Here's the prophet of God, the man of God on the scene. The man, in this day and time, God spoke through a man or a prophet. And as he spoke through the prophet, they knew that this is what the Lord had told them. And they said, do you come in peace? They were worried, man, do you come in peace? Or do you come in some other way? Do you come to let us know God's about to judge us, that God's about to destroy us? Why why do you come? That would be the natural question. And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. He's doing what God told him to do. He said, go find Jesse. I'm going to anoint one of Jesse's sons king not going to tell you which one until the right time. Samuel's like, what if Saul hears this and he knows I'm going to anoint another king? He's going to want to kill me. Samuel saw. So when he arrived, Samuel saw Eli and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So he saw one of the sons. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. I love this. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. These are all Jesse's sons. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So Samuel's a little confused. He goes to Jesse. He's told that one of Jesse's sons will be the king. They all pass before Samuel. God rejects every one of them. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. He was thought so little of by his family, That the man of God comes. This was a big deal in that day and time. This would be like the president coming to your house for a barbecue. It's a big deal. You're going to tell everybody you know. Let's word this different because some of you are going to argue with me around. This is like having a president you know and respect. Because some of you don't. I'm just saying. Come to your house. You're going to make sure everyone you know is there. They take off work. You're not going to leave one of your kids out in the field. Because the Prez is coming. If they thought so little of David, they didn't even get him out of the field. They're still the youngest, he answered. He's tending the sheep. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance, handsome features. I I like that because it says he was handsome, but the other ones he describes in great detail, the brothers, he was big in stature. He was this. David was all right. Ladies, you ever seen a guy and then someone points him out to you? Like, right. I mean, he ain't ugly. I've been one worse. But, I mean, don't get me wrong, man. I mean, he ain't, he ain't getting my motor going. You know. Ladies, you ever seen a guy and you're like, ah, if I'm still single at 40. I mean, he'd be all right. You yeah. know. He was glowing in health, a fine appearance, and handsome features. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he appointed him, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel moved on. This chapter opens up, and I need to break this down for you because it's very key. God goes to the prophet, the prophet Samuel. I'm going to give you a little more history than I normally give, and then I'm going to give you some practical points. The chapter opens with God reminding Samuel of the fact that he has now rejected Saul as the king of Israel. Saul was chosen to be the king because the people of Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like the other nations around them. The other nations had a king. They thought they needed a king. Up until this point, God had ruled the nation. They didn't need a king. God made the cause. God had judges. He had leaders that he put. He had a council that he spoke to and communicated with, and they led Israel to be a powerful nation. God had ruled the nation, raising up leaders as they were needed, and this is how things had operated in Israel all the way through the time of Moses, through the day of Judges. God even told them, they were warned that elevating a man to the throne would bring political corruption and trouble. But they wanted a king. They wanted someone to lead them. They wanted someone they could see physically, touch physically, and rally behind. So God sends them Saul. And let me back that up. God did not send them Saul. Saul. They chose Saul. When Saul was chosen to be their king, the people were elated. The Bible describes him in great nature. He was a fine physical specimen. He was a head taller than anybody else. He just looked like a leader. He had that look about him. I was in a conference one time or a roundtable discussion one time with about 30 guys that were starting a churches. And this one guy walked in, blonde hair, blue eyes, square jaw, about 6'3". You could see the muscles coming through his polo shirt. Clean shaven, he just had that look. And it was weird, I was joking with him. And I walked up and I said, man, what college did you play quarterback at? He looked at me and said, Marilyn. I was like, oh. He just had that look about him. He just knew he was the quarterback. The people saw Saul, and they looked on the outward appearance of Saul. They didn't look at the inward appearance of Saul. The Bible says he was head and shoulders above everyone else. And while he might have been a giant among men, he was spiritually corrupt. Saul was a jealous man. He lived for the praise of the people instead of the praise of God. He would overstep his boundaries and was guilty of gross disobedience to the commands of Israel. Basically, Saul thought he was bigger than God. And did things his way. As a result of this, the Lord giving the people what they want. The Lord proved to Israel the dangers of a human king. Oh, by the way, sometimes God will give you what you want. Even if he knows it's not what you need. Let me repeat that for you because I don't think you grasp that concept. God is not a puppet master in heaven dictating his will upon you. Sometimes he will give you what you want, even when he knows that's not what you need. You ever had to let your kids make a poor choice? It's horrible. You ever seen your kids headed down a path, and you know it's going to implode, and you know it's going to lead to the wrong thing, but at the end of the day, you have got to let them figure it out on their own? what God did here with the children of Israel. He knew they didn't need a king, but they wanted a king. So he gave them the king they wanted and proved he was not needed. It gets to the point where Saul becomes so corrupt. The children of Israel have realized the corruption, and God rejects Saul as the king. You wanted a king, I gave you the king you wanted, now I reject this king. As a result of Saul's rebellion, God came along and said it's time that I choose the king. And he chooses David. The young shepherd boy who wasn't even thought highly enough to be invited when the prophet came. The one that when the Bible describes him, describes him as, he's all right. But God sees things we don't see. God's ways are not our ways, and God doesn't work in the way that we work. Man looks on the outside, and God looks on the inside. Man looks out and says, How could God ever use that person? Do you know about their past? Do you know about what they're involved in today? And God says, yep, that's who I'm using. This book is full of people we would never use that God used. God used liars and thieves and crooks and drunks. Lepers, outcasts, religious zealots of the day, murderers, adulterers. People who simply didn't have it together, and God looked at it and said, "You see this, and I see somebody I'm about to use." Samuel looked at David and said, "Man, he's just a young shepherd boy." Jesse, David's own dad, looked at him and said, "Man, he's just a shepherd. He's a young. I'm not even bringing him to the meeting." God looked down and said that's the king of Israel he's a man after my own heart and I'm going to do great things through him in God's choice of David as king we're allowed to see how God works in his decision process and God uses, I have people tell me all the time I wish God would use me but I know it won't because of blank it's not how God works If you think you can't be used to God, you're sadly mistaken. If you think God is concerned about your skin color, you're sadly mistaken. If you think that God is concerned about your social standing to be used, you're sadly mistaken. If you think God is concerned about your sorry past, you're sadly mistaken. If you think God is concerned about your sexual preference, you're sadly mistaken. God uses who he chooses to use when he chooses to use them. We need to understand something. God's choices are sovereign. God's choices are sovereign, and what that means is God is going to do what God is going to do. You don't get a say in what God's going to do. You don't get to outrun the call of God. You don't get to avoid the call of God. God is putting the things in place to allow yourself to be used by Him. God's choices are sovereign. You can't run from them. You can't go around them. You can't go over them. You can't go under them. You just gotta deal with them. You might not like them. You might not think you're worthy to be used. But God uses you. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Samuel was broken up over Saul. He thought he was the one. You ever thought somebody was the one? Since I have rejected him, fill your horn with oil. That's how he was going to, I'm going to send you to to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons. How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. How can I go? If God, if Saul hears that I'm going to anoint a new king, he's going to kill me, God. I said, take a heifer with you. Come to, tell him you've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Go to Jesse's house. Tell him to come to the sacrifice. Gary version, real quick here. And you're going to anoint the one I tell you to anoint. The other sons come out. God rejects them. God rejects them. God rejects them. He asks, is there someone else? He says, there's David. He's just a young one out in the field. He says, that's the one, bring him. God put everything in place for David to be the king. There was nothing Samuel could do about it. God was directing his path. The people of Israel wanted a king, and God gave them the one they wanted in Saul. Saul was not the choice of God. Do not miss that. The children of Israel looked on the external, and God was looking on the internal. David was the man that he wanted to rule. And check it out God is working behind the scenes to get his man into place. Don't miss it. God's always working behind the scenes to put you in the position to fulfill your purpose in life. The people start seeing the real soul, This is key. And now the people know it's time for a change. God in his sovereignty was dictating and planning what would happen. Here's what you need to understand. What God wants, God gets. It might not always be a straight path. It might not always be the easiest path. It might not be the clearest path. But God gets what God wants. God wanted David. God is in control. You can try to manipulate the situation. You can try to tweak the situation. You can try to make the situation work out the way you want the situation to work out. But God's plan will prevail. You can run from God, but wherever you go, there he is. Jonah found that out. How'd that work out for him? I'm not going there. I'm going the opposite way. Boom, a well swallows him up. Guess who was in the well? God. You ready to do what I told you to do yet? There's some of you, man, you've been running from God. had a man just this week tell me, he said, man, I knew God called me to do X, Y, and Z one time, and I just didn't do it, man. I wasn't ready to do it. He said, it was 27 years ago, and I think about it every day. He said, 'I, I feel like I can't get away from it. God gave the man what he wanted, not what the man needed. God's not going to force you to do it. But he's going to put you in situations where God's will always happens. You don't get to outrun God. You don't get to change God's mind. Some of you would do really well today to realize he's God and you're not. And there's not a person here today that God doesn't have a plan for your life. There's not a person here today that God doesn't have a purpose for your life. There's not a person here today that God doesn't have a calling on your life. He told Jeremiah, he said, I knew you in the womb. I called you. I set you apart for greatness. You might not think you're worthy today. You might not think you're qualified today. You might not think that God can use you today. And God says, I'm working behind the scenes. I'm going to take what you consider your mess, and it's going to be your ministry. I'm going to take what you consider your mess, and it's going to be your message. I'm going to do greatness through you. Here's a problem with us sometimes. You know what I think we screw up with God sometimes? You know the stupidest prayer I think we pray? Is we decide the course for our life, and we have the arrogance, the nerve, to ask God to get involved in what we're doing, when we ought to be saying, God, put me in the middle of what you're doing. Let me repeat that, because I don't think some of you got that. We spend our lives praying that God would get in the middle of what we're doing. Hey, God, I know you're the big man. I know you call the shots. I know you created everything. Man, why don't you get involved in what I'm doing over here? We set ourselves up to be God because that's what that boils down to. God, I need you to submit to what I want from my life. Instead of saying, God, where are you moving? I want to be in the middle of that. I think one thing that we've done well at this church, and let me make this very clear, there's a lot we ain't done well, is that nothing is sacred around here as far as what we do. There's been different ministries that we have done, and we've done them for a year. Some of them we have done for two years. Some of them we have done for three years. And we did them because we felt that God was moving in that area and wanted us to be part of it at that time. And we also felt there was times to in that. So many churches will continue to do what they do just because they've always done it. There's a time that God's like, I'm in the middle of this. I'll give you an example. We used to do a back-to-school carnival every year where we gave kids book bags full of school supplies. Here's why we did that. Because when we started doing that seven years ago, there was nobody doing that. There was a huge need for that. God made it very clear to us. He put it on the hearts of many people that we should do that. We stopped doing that about two years ago, and people didn't understand why. Here's why we quit doing it. We felt God was done with us in that area, because in the five years that we had started that, there was probably 30 different churches doing it now. There was no longer a need. It wasn't that it was a bad thing. It's just that we felt God had given that burden to other people, and we weren't just going to keep doing something for the sake of doing it. About five years ago, we started giving Canton the bird every Thanksgiving. You said, you started doing what? We started giving Canton. That's what we call our Thanksgiving drive, give Canton the bird. We started collecting meals for Thanksgiving where people could have what they needed. About year three of that, the first two years, nobody was doing it. About the third year of that, I would say there was probably 20 different groups doing that. And we begin to have the discussion. Is God done with us in this area? And for the first time, I felt like we had some discernment. I said, let's watch it for one more year and see what happens. It's a lot of work to give Canton the bird. After one year, those 30 groups decided, man, they didn't want to be part of it anymore. And the next year, we were back to the little ones doing it. So guess what? We continue to do it. That's where God's moving, and we want to be in the middle of where God's moving, not asking God to be in the middle of what we're doing. God's sovereign. When God chooses to use someone, he's sovereign in his choices. He chooses who he wants to use, not based on our standard of who should be used. Well, I think that person, we agree, a great person to lead this up. They've been in church for 20 years and been to this Bible class, and night Bible class, and they've got all this together and all that together and this together and that together and this together. Everything seems perfect except for one thing, they don't feel called to do it. I'd rather take someone who's a brand new Christian, who's on fire for the things of God, and feels called to do something. The church has a bad place of just putting people in place. I... I I, I grew, I didn't grow up in church, but the church I got into, if you were a woman in that church, then you were automatically called to work in the kids' area. Always. That was just your calling. Do you know there's some women, shocker, that don't feel called to work in the kids' area? It's amazing. Amazing. We want to be moving where God's moving. God was sovereign in his choice of choosing David. He put the right person in the right place. It will become obvious to you when God has a call on your life. You can't outrun it. You can try. It doesn't work real good. You can't avoid it. You can try. God's sovereign. God's choices many times are surprising. They're surprising. Samuel sent to Bethlehem to anoint the new king. He's told to go to the house of Jesse when Samuel arrives. He commands Jesse together, his sons together, and they come before the old prophet and they pass before him one by one. I can just picture it. He's standing there. Here's my first son. Here's my first offering. Samuel sees him. And in this process, Samuel sees things that impresses him about the boys. And he thinks over and over and over, surely this is the one. And over and over and over, God says, this is not the one. While his choices are sovereign, many times there's real surprises in that. The first son comes before Samuel, Elah, and his name literally means God is Father. That's what his name means. The Bible goes into detail. He is a fine-looking dude. And Samuel thinks he's the one. My wife's been watching this show on Netflix I'm going to butcher the name of it. I can't remember what it is. Love is blind. Love is blind. Okay. And they're in these rooms, and you meet people. Apparently, I missed the first couple of episodes, and you don't see them. Okay. And then I guess after they fall in love or some crap like that, they get to see them. And many times they see them, they're in love with them, and they see them like, oh. That's not what I was in love with. When they were only looking at the internal, they were in love. When the external factors kick in, it's not what they wanted. God's choices are surprising. The next one that came before him was Abinadab, and his name literally means my father is noble. The Bible goes into great detail to describe him. And Samuel thinks, man, I guess this is the one. And God rejects him next one, Shaman, his literally means astonishment. That's what his name means. I, 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 I take that to mean, man, he was just a bad dude. His name literally meant he, he was astonishing. Like, that's a great wrestling name. Astonishing Abinadab. You know? And Samuel rejects him. All of these men met the physical... Details of what he thought a king should look like. Their their physiques were defined. They had that look. They were toned by hours of hard work, physical labor. Any of these brothers would have possessed the physical attributes to be king. But none of them, for whatever reason, possessed the character traits to be king. God sees what we cannot see. Even Samuel was impressed with these men. And you would think if anybody wasn't impressed, it would be Samuel because he had chosen Saul, the bad king, based on his physical attributes. You ever know a lady and she just jumps from bad relationship to bad relationship? And they're like, man. All the guys she jumps to look good. But you're like, man, that's a douchebag. You think they learned their lesson? You'd have thought Samuel would have learned his lesson, but he hasn't. Sometimes his choices are surprising. There's been people to step up in this church and fill into areas, and people are like, that's who you're going to use? I'm like, that's who God's going to use. But how can God use them? God's choices are surprising. Gary Lamb, pastor of Action Church. Someone told me this week that I should get on this business platform, kind of like a social media for business called LinkedIn. So I got on LinkedIn to network. It's been beneficial to see people in the various fields that I'm involved in and people that might need my services. But an amazing thing happened when I got on there. People that had blocked me on other social media outlets 10 years ago had never thought about the fact that I might show up there one day. That all of a sudden, the people I may know, a lot of people from my past, I had fun with that and sent them all connections. It's called connections there. I even went back and counted. I sent 47 of them, and only one of them accepted. Just was bored and having fun. they were probably a little bit surprised to see, still in Canton, still pastoring, still making an impact, because they're not God. I don't understand why God chooses to use people that go to this church. I don't understand why God chooses to use me. I'm as surprised as anyone that you show up every week. Someone asked me one day, they said, How do y'all make decisions around there? I said, We vote on them. They said, You guys vote as a church? I said, We vote every Sunday morning. What do you mean? You have a vote every Sunday morning? I said, Yeah, they vote whether or not to support what we do, but based on whether or not they show up. I said, The week I show up and nobody else is here, I'll be like, Man, we voted to shut it down. God's choices are surprising. Last one. I'm going to camp out here for a minute and we're going to go home. God's choices are specific. God knows what he's looking for. And he's not looking for what we look for. So he asked Jesse, are, all the, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest. He's out tending the sheep. Send for him. He will not sit down until he arrives. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was going with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, arise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and appointed him in the prince of his brothers. And that day on the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. God knew exactly what it was he was looking for. God knew exactly what it was he needed. God knows exactly what it is when he puts a call on your life because he knows there are certain people that you're going to reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ that I'll never reach. There's certain people you're going to be able to be a blessing to and work through ministry with because of the mess that you've been through and I haven't been there. There's certain people that I'm going to be able to help that you're never going to be able to help because of what I've been through. I am convinced over and over and over God lets us go through the mess so it can be used for ministry. We might not understand the mess, but we'll understand the ministry. God is specific in what he looks for we tend to look on the outward appearance what kind of education do they have what kind of life are they living do they have it all together let me go ahead and let you know nobody has it all together no how good no matter how good they look on facebook i want my life like their facebook life so do they may your life be as great as you pretend it to be on facebook specific. David was ready to be used. David was ready to be used. David had been in the fire of leadership. You don't learn how not to lead out in the field. There was work and strategy that went into keeping the sheep together and this young boy knew how to do that. He was ready. He he knew how to go and fight. He had killed a bear and killed a lion defending the sheep. You'll see all this later broken down. And every step of the way, David was ready. You might not feel like you're ready, but you begin to play back over your life and you'll see that God was uniquely gifting you and setting you up to be right where you need to be. David was ready, David was reliable. God is not always looking for the most qualified. Most of the time, he's just looking for the most available. I went to Bible college at a very small Bible college. There was about 25 people in the class that I was in. And of those 25 people, there's two of us still in ministry to this day. The other ones are not not in ministry because of sin or anything like that. They just weren't reliable. I went to my preaching class, 25 people in the preaching class. I came in 23rd out of the 25. Meaning the other 23 would preach me under the table. They knew the three points in a poem way better than I could ever do. But not a one of them is in ministry today. So you can be the best best preacher in the world, or the best preacher in the world, whichever one. Breast preaching will get you in trouble. <laughs> you can be the best preacher in the world. But if you ain't preaching, it don't matter. When I was in high school, I went to Decula High School. Central Gwinnett High School was our rival. And they had a guy named Timmy Smith. And Timmy Smith was the baddest dude in all the land. You would play football against Timmy Smith. He'd be in the backfield. He would call out before the play, '88, coming your way.' He would tell you where he was going and then run you over. <laughs> you have never seen anybody as naturally gifted as Timmy Smith. If there was anybody, and look, literally, they were, he was the guy that was going to break all Herschel Walker's records in high school. By his senior year, Timmy Smith wasn't even playing football anymore. He had made some other choices in life. He wasn't reliable. So here's the deal. As good as he was, he was no benefit to the team because he wasn't in the game. Did you hear what I just said? God's not always looking for the best. He's looking for the available. Timmy Smith's backup was a white boy. I don't remember his name, so we'll just call him white boy. (laughs) White boy went on to win Gwinnett County Football Player of the Year that year. Backing, getting to play. You know what? White boy was slow. Timmy Smith had more natural talent in his pinky toe than White Boy had in his entire body. But you know why White Boy was so good and became Gwinnett County Player of the Year? Because he played the game. He showed up every week. He took the handoff every week. He pounded the line every week. He wasn't the most physically gifted, but he was the one available. God's looking for someone simply to be available. He's not concerned with how much knowledge you have. He wants you available. God will teach you, and God will lead you. Moses said, how are you going to call me to go before Pharaoh? I have a stuttering problem. And God said, I'll speak for you. You don't understand how God can use you. I'm just looking for someone reliable. I'm looking for someone who's just stupid enough to be used. David was ready. David was reliable. How about this? David was redeemed. He was a child of God. That is the one requirement being used. You've got to have that relationship with Christ. You have to be redeemed. God takes his redeemed and uses them to start a revolution. I want you to understand something today. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. God wants to do great things through your life. But you've got to realize God can use your life. No one would have thought God could have used David, and he did. Some of you got to quit living in your sin, living in your past, and living in your mess. And start doing what you're called to do. But what if it don't work? Guess what if it doesn't work? God's with you. You know how many things I've done in my life that didn't work? But God's with me. God uses who he uses. Let's pray.